Act 6 is actually a very familiar text for many of us. That's when the church was encountering conflict or issues. Act 6 is the sixth chapter of Acts. Acts talk about the whole book of Acts is talking about how the Christian church started. I mean, starting from chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended, filled the people, the New Testament apostles. The church started at that time. Church went very well. Thousands and thousands of people joined the church. That's chapter 2. I'm starting chapter 4. The, the church is starting having problems. The persecutions, the people over there started to put the apostles into prison. But the church still flourished. That's chapter 4. Then chapter 5, you're starting to have the corruptions. Ananias, Ananias, Sapphira. Those are the two internal moral corruption going on in the church. And if you take a look at Acts 6, when James read it, the numbers of church increased. So the corruption, the persecution didn't really touch the church. The church is still growing. Church is still flourished. But in Acts 6, there's no new problems coming up. That's the context of this uh, scripture text. So what's going on in that? When the church is expanding, you have so many different people join the church. You have a Hellenistic church people, meaning the Grecian people, the people who speak Greek. They are so-called the foreigners. They're not part of the Jewish community. You have new people joining the church. You have old people who are Jewish people. They speak only Aramaic and Hebrew. The Greek people speak Greek. And when they join the church, the churches start having problems. And take a look at Iran, you. And when you have people who don't speak English, people who speak Cantonese, people who speak Malaysian, who people don't read Chinese, and you know, you have a multi-ethnic church right in front of you. That's what's happening, what happened in Acts 6. Then you start having problems. You start having problems. So Acts chapter 2, uh, chapter 4, you have a persecution. In chapter 5, you have a corruption. And chapter 6, you have so-called a distraction. So the church is growing. You have a tangible needs that, 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 that happened in the church. Talking about the food distribution about Hellenistic widows. Hmm. There's issues going there, physical needs that, are, uh, that, is, uh, that, uh, that have risen. Oh, I still have, but don't have. So that, that was the context. That was the context of chapter, chapter 6. So what did, the, uh, what did the apostle do? What did the apostle do? What would you do if you're the apostles or the church leaders at that time? What would you do? I tell you what I would do. I would say, okay, the church is growing. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. It looks like the God is doing something great in this church. Stop it! Complaining. I mean, just food. Come on. Stop being selfish. Pray for the Lord. The Lord will provide. You know? God is doing stuff. Don't be self-centered. I would do that. I don't know what you would do. But that's not what the apostles did at that time. They singled out the most qualified people. They singled out most qualified people, seven of them, to handle that particular 
issue. The food distribution issue. It's not like, come on, just, just pick someone, just handle that. No, they pick up the most qualified candidates or deacons or the servants to help with the tangible needs in the church. Mm. To do what? To not just handle the food issues, the food misunderstanding or issues. They don't want to be distracted. So when the Satan is attacking the church, they use persecution, you use corruption, then they use distraction. So the apostles, what the apostles did was to select the deacons to avoid to be distracted. Because their priority, the church's priority as a body, is to preach the God, preach the word of God, and to do the deeds of God. So the apostles did was to select those people, the office of deacon, to not to be distracted. So that's the very actually the very first thing that we learned from those seven verses. The first thing is the word ministry prioritized. The word ministry is prioritized. When the church ministers, when the church ministers were distracted by the tangible needs in the church, the church is going to become anemic because they will not be fed with the word of God. It's called slow motion suicide. It's going to go down. So we have four, four elders now. We, we probably will. John and I, if, if you have, we, we are not a big congregation. If the church should start growing, there will be a lot of things they want to, they want to, they, they, demands attention. Okay? Karen's going to have a surgery on the Tuesday, and she's going to call John. She's going to call me to see if I can give a right because Chris is out of town. Hmm. Okay? All right. I don't know why he's out of town, but hey, it's just, just, just it's a scenario. All right? In the afternoon, someone need to mow the lawn. Some need to clean the house. Some need a hospital visitation. Some need this. Some need that. Before you know it, we are absolutely burned out. And you say, oh, these guys are paid. That's what they're paid to do. <laughs> no. Biblically, we are not the ones who do the tangible things, the needs or things. Our priority the elders and the pastors and the overseers, our priority is the word ministry. If we are not preaching the word of God, if our message, it's really not relevant for you, or you don't, you don't learn the truth or know the truth through our word ministry, we need to find another job. But that's our calling, preaching and praying. That's the leader's calling, pastors and elders. We cannot be, and the church should not be, overwhelming the elders with their tangible needs. That's actually what the deacons are called for. So that's the, the fir first thing we learn from Acts 6, 1 to 7. The word ministry is prioritized. The second thing, the second thing, if you, if you take a look at verse 3 or 4, the whole congregation is involved. The deacons were not appointed 
just by the elders. Okay, you, 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 you. Okay, seven, go. No, the whole congregation is involved. They voted for it. They confirmed it. They ordained them. So this, that's, that, that's actually the case for the so-called congregationalism. That means the elders leading, the deacons facilitating, and basically the congregation doing the ministry, and the congregation eventually rules. We lead, the deacons serve, the congregation rules. Because they, that's what we're going to do eventually. We are going to vote. There's 14 or 17 people into their offices. There's a whole congregation. The congregation is not another legislature to check balance of the pastors. Well, the deacons are not for that job either. So the congregation is to follow or obey the leadership of the church. But they will have the final power to say yes or no of the church business eventually. So the whole congregation is involved. We're still here? Okay. The third one, the third one for the deacons. Okay, now it comes to the deacons. The first one is the word ministry prioritized. The second one is whole congregation involved. The third thing is the character mandated. The deacons were called not for their skills. Okay, you can fix the lights. The deacons are the light. Deacons are the facility. Deacons are the parking. Deacons of IT because you are able to do those things. No. When it comes to the qualification of the deacons for the louders, Acts 6 gives three things. 1 Timothy 3 gives six things. We can basically put them all together to talk about it. But no matter what, character mandated. So the first thing Acts 6 talk about is the good repute. Good reputation. Acts, uh, 1 Timothy 3 talks about those people need to be dignified. Meaning what? They need to be respected. They need to be respected. When people take a look at Ryan, who's going to be a candidate for the deacon, people say, I don't know about this guy. He's, he's, he just came out of jail, you know. That's not very good. <laughs> That's not very good. What does it mean to be respected or dignified? What does it mean to be dignified, respected? According to 1 Timothy 3, there were three couple of things. Or three couple of things, negative things. The scripture text talk about. If you remember it correctly, that's okay. If you don't remember it, remember this. All the three negative things, the, the things that they should not be doing, revolving around self-control. Revolving around self-control. What is the first thing? What's the first thing they do? Not double-toned. Not double-toned. What does it mean, double-toned? Double-toned meaning you're consciously saying one thing to one group, and they're saying or insinuating something else to a different group. That's double tongue. Two words for that. One is called a flattery. I'm talking to John. Oh, you're such a brilliant person. 
You look great. You're such a great person. Then I turned to Ryan. Yeah, I don't know about this guy. He doesn't do anything. That's called a flattery because I say one thing good to him, and I say another thing to you. I cannot bring this thing that I said to you to his face. That's called a flattery. And another one is called a gossip. It's called a gossip. I say something bad, something really ugly, in front of your face, and cannot bring that to him. The first thing is I can say to you, but I can't say to you. Another gossip is I can say those things to you, but I can't say to you. So flattery and the gossip. That's the two sides of the coin. That's called a double tongue. So if you deacons, okay, the jobs of deacons have you know lots of opportunities to talk to people. That's church ministry. As people ministry, eventually we don't serve the building; we serve the people. That's our focus. When you do this ministry, when you interact with people, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to talk, to have opinions, to express your opinions. Do not be double tongued. Do not be double tongued, because that's living in the fear of man, not in the fear of God. So that's the first thing, control your tongue. That's the first thing. The second thing that revolves around self-control is not addicted to to or addicted to much wine. Not addicted to much wine. So the first thing is control your tongue. Second thing is control your appetite. To control your appetite, the food, the wine, or substance abuse, or anything. Pornography and watching movie all day long, or listen, you know, do something not necessarily very constructive or addicted to it. So that's the second one, the self-control. The third one is not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for dishonest gain. So that, what does that mean? Control your what? Control your wallet, especially what puts into the wallet. The deacons will be handling lots of business in the church. Some of them. Or a big part of it as money. We do not have a big budget in this church, but if church grows, there will be lots of money coming in and out, and not a lot of people will be watching over your shoulder to see how the money is handled. It's a temptation over there. If you live a life of deceptive life, if you're dishonest, you should not be handling this. And you actually, you're not going to be qualified for a deacon. So the three things that involves self-control: control your tongue, control your appetite, control your wallet. So that's the three self-control things. So that's how you need, how you say you are dignified, or good repute, or respected. Okay, that's the three negative things. The the three things the deacons uh, are, are are to be doing, according to First Timothy three. The first one is is、um, hold the mystery of the of the faith with the clear conscience. Hold the mystery of the faith with the clear conscience. It's it's it's, it's right in there. Yeah. What does it mean? Mystery is not a genre for the novel. Mystery is something that's hidden and it's revealed. The biblical mystery, meaning the gospel and the Christian doctrine, was hidden in the Old Testament. Now it's revealed in Jesus Christ. 
That's what the Ephesians two was talking about. Ephesians three was talking about. So that's hold the mystery um, of faith. The first thing is you need to know the truth, because you can't hold to something without really knowing it. So the first thing is you need to know the truth. You know, deacons are different from elders because elders have a little bit higher qualification, if you will, and a different qualification. I won't use the higher thing. A different qualification. Elders are ordered or commanded to teach. They have to hold the truth and know the truth. But deacons, they probably not be the biggest readers in the church. They probably not that very, very articulate about the Christian faith. But at least, according to this, hold the mystery of the truth. At least they are eager to know. They want to know. They want to know the Bible. They want to know the Christian doctrine. They are interested in in the Word of God. So that's what it means: know the truth and hold the truth. The truth is not just in mind; it's in your heart. Especially in this current culture, culture trend that's that's basically inclined with the Christian truth right now in this in this world. If you, as a deacon or church leaders, exemplar, are influenced more by the culture outside than the Word of God, you and I and the church need to repent. And that's the second thing: hold, know the truth, hold the truth, and live the truth. That's what it says: the clear conscience. That means your life is the life with integrity, with courage, with the fruit of Holy Spirit. This is actually what the Acts six was talking about. So the first thing is the good repute, and the second thing is the full of a spirit, full of spirit, and the full of wisdom. So as a deacon, your life it should be demonstrated, should be、um, should be indicative of the great fruit of Holy Spirit. Okay, the nine things that you know, Galatians five twenty two, the、uh, the fruit spirit. When people see your life, it's not about what you know. As about what you know against, as about your life. Okay, that's the that's the that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing is tested and proven, approved, tested and proven. This is usually got sidelined、uh, when it comes to the qualification of deacons because the the Bible is not very specific about how, how and when they are tested and proven. But in our constitution, in this church constitution, you cannot be the deacon until you are one year member. You are a member for,、uh, at this church for one year. Throughout this year, the leadership will watch you, will observe you, and you will you will have great opportunities to serve in different areas. You will be called to do those type of things. Then you will be tested, and if you are proven to the worthiness of the leadership of of the church, you will be called. So the tested and the proven. And the sixth thing, sixth thing is is the faithful family life, faithful family life. The godliness of a deacon begins with the closest relationship. I know not everyone's married, but the family life is talking about the closest relationship. So if I ask, you know, if you if you take a look at Jay, all right, if you take a look at Jay, he's a good gentleman. Everybody's a good gentleman. He's a good guy. Then you talk to his wife. You're gonna find out what this guy is really all about. Wife is like, I've not talked to my husband for three days already. Uh oh, <laughs> that becomes a problem. 
So the good, faithful family lives, actually the godliness of a deacon begins with the closest relationship. If you're married, you have a wife and a husband. How do you deal with your wife and not deal with? How do you care for and love your spouse? Is actually a key measurement for godliness of a deacon. You have children. Are they raised up in a Christian environment? Are they being beaten down all the time? Are they loved? Are they raised up as a godly kid, as godly children? So, so six things for the uh, for the qualification of deacons. Three negative things revolving around the self-control. Control your tongue. Control your appetite. What's another thing? Control your money. Control your wallet. Now, three positive things. The whole the mystery of truth with a clear conscience, and tested and proven, and a good family life. So you can remember scriptures. You can, you can, you can recite the scriptures. So that's from 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 12. So let's go back to Acts 6. We talk about the word ministry being prioritized. We talk about the whole congregation involved. We, we spend quite a bit of time on character mandated. So that's the, that's the three things. And another thing that we can learn from this, uh, from this Acts 6 is basically labor divided. When the deacons were called, well, the servants, actually, the deacons. Well, what do you mean by deacons anyways? This is the word that is very interesting. Because elders, they are leaders, they are overseers, bishops, or shepherds. They use the word to define that particular office. But deacons, that's the word actually, the uh, diaconos, the Greek word. It's just the servants. It's just the servants. Aren't we all servants for the Lord? Yes. That's why the deacons is kind of ambiguous. But in this chapter, Acts 6, those particular a group of people were called for a specific service. That's why we call the deacons of service. What are they? They were deputized by the apostles to meet a certain task or tangible needs in the church in order to maintain the integrity of the church. So that's actually, that's your job. Their labor is divided. That's the first thing we need to learn. The labor is divided. For the deacon's office in this church, we have four different departments. We have someone to take care of administration. I mean, the records, the correspondence, the human resources, that's administration. We have the department of finances. Someone's need to handle the money, the donations, the tithes, and the budget. And the department of operations. They're talking about the facility management. They're talking about the security and the Department of Communication. So the Department of Communication talks about communicating among the members and outside the church, and how do we make this communication smoothly and more effective. So those are the four departments in the, the office of deacons. That means the labor is divided and deputized to meet the certain tangible needs in the church. So those are the four things we learn from Acts 6. The work ministry prioritized, the whole congregation involved, and a character mandated, and a labor is divided. Okay, what are the deacons to do? What are the deacons to do? Basically, to summarize what we, what, we, what we basically said. 
Americans are shock absorbers. Shock absorbers. They're cushions. What do I mean by that? Remember the context? The, the Satan that's attacking the church with distraction. With what purpose? To shock the church into different pieces so the church will divide. divide. Introduce all the conflicts to the church so the church will not be a church. The deacons were called to absorb the shocks, to become not the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. You have conflicts in the church, Hellenistic versus the Jewish people. The deacons were called to do just that. Let me read the names of the deacons. It's very hard to read. That's why I asked James to just read Chinese. It's very hard to read English. I had to Google it and YouTube it. You know, but I can read to you. You tell me what they are. Where is it? Okay. So those are the those are the seven seven deacons. That's in verse uh, that's in verse five. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of of Holy Spirit. So Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paminus. Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So those are the seven people. It may not mean too much to you, but they were all Greeks. You can imagine the headline the next day in the newspaper, local newspaper. Jewish majority congregation selected Greek leaders. That will be Lynchburg uh, headline next day because it's big news. That church, Jerusalem church, Church of Jerusalem, is a Jewish majority church. They selected the seven Greek leaders who don't even speak their language. That's a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. Look at all the candidates we have over there. The 15 of them are deacons. You have Forbes. You have Sparklin. You have Nixon. We just need a Jones and Smith and just make the, uh, you know, the English you know, more common. But you have all those Eads. You have all the English last names. You have John. You have Lou. You have, you know, they're Mandarin-speaking people. They're Chinese. Why do we do that? Peter, you're here. Why do, why do we do that? I'm sorry. Why do we do that? Because this congregation, the OIC church, is a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural church. It's not just for the Caucasian, not just for black, not just for Asian. It's for everyone. That's what this church is all about. And the Acts 6, they did exactly that. That was two thousand years ago. So the deacons are shock absorbers. So if you consider a deacon's position, if you like drama more than solving the problems, 
you probably not qualified to be a deacon, no matter how skillful you are, how handy you are, because the deacons were selected to try to solve that problem, and you become a problem. That's an issue. So the second, the first thing, is deacons are were shock absorbers. The second thing is deacons are problem solvers. That's that's kind of straightforward because they were selected just to tackle specific issues. So the deacon's office will probably revolve on eventually. We have four depart departments now. If the church is getting bigger, the department would have a sub-departments. They have different teams and community com committees and stuff. We might have more deacon offices because we have more needs. The deacons are problem solvers, not a problem uh, uh, or cause problems. Okay. What about the relationship between elders and deacons? We have two offices in the Constitution and in the Bible. We have two offices, office of elders, office of deacons. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, you talk about the elders' qualification. 8 to 12, you talk about the deacons' qualification. If you put them all together, you put them all together, they are very similar. They're very similar. It's so ordinary, so not extraordinary. It's very ordinary. They are basically good Christian people. <laughs> they are basically good Christian people. What's the relationship between elders and the deacons? We talk about the elders who are leaders, who are teachers, instructors, and shepherds, and, and, man, and yeah, leaders, uh, and preachers. That's, these are the, uh, the, um, uh, the elders. I'll give you the illustration just to, uh, just to talk about the relationship between the two offices. If the elders decide to take the whole church to Pittsburgh. Yay. And decide to do that. We, of course, we ask opinions, and then we make a decision. We're going to take the whole church to Pittsburgh. What are the deacons' job? Veto it. <laughs> you know, we are the, uh, the, the, con we, we are the Congress, and you are the, uh, the president. We'll veto it. The check about No, no. The deacon's office is to figure out how to get there. Is to figure out how to get there because deacons were deputized by the apostles, by the leaders, to meet the tangible needs. They are not check balance to the elders. The elders are not saints. We are sinners. We have problems. We can be very prideful. That's why when we make decisions, we need to be very, very careful. That need to represent what this church is, going, is all about, where the church is going to be. We're not making decisions unilaterally. But once decisions made, we are responsible for the decisions we make because God put the burden on the elders or the pastors. The deacons trying to figure out how to get to Pittsburgh. Deacons going to come back. Elders, Pastor John, Pastor Paul, you're crazy because we don't have gas. We just don't have gas. The gas is not big enough. You can't take the whole church there. You're crazy. You know, I'm not, I'm not challenging your decision. I think it's a great vision that you, you do this and that. But it's just not practical. We can't not be done in that re for that reason. So that's Deacon's job. It's not like, I don't like your vision. I don't like the way church is going. I don't like it. You better be a, be a, be a deacon, a, be, a, be a pastor eventually, because you're thinking about the, which direction the church is going. 
So see, that's the, um, that's the difference between the two offices. The elders are making decisions in terms of the, where the church is going, the visions, and all that type of stuff. Lead the church to the place where God wants the church to be. The deacons will make that happen to facilitate the ministry. So that's what this biblical understanding of diaconate or the leadership. Um, use another illustration. Use another illustration. When people come to this church, when people come to this church, they probably, and they will not remember the 15 names of deacons. They will not. Who are they going to remember? The people who stand behind the pulpit talking all the time. Because we're public figures. Either John, or me, or Jay, or Mike. Those are the elders they remember. Probably the pastors. It's like what? It's like a football. If you've been to the football game, or you watch football game, you watch football game. You remember who? You remember the quarterback, Tim Brady, and all that type of things. Do you remember the lineman? Do you remember? What are the lemons' job? They, they do this, right? They're just standing there. They're big and they're standing there. What are, what are they doing? What are they doing? To protect the quarterback so that the quarterback can do their job. No one does an interview after the game with the linemen. They always interview the quarterback, and they did such a brilliant job. The deacons... Probably they are not remembered most of the time because they are doing the job of a lineman. The quarterback got all the credits and everything. But, hey, when Jesus came to this world, when Jesus came to, came to this world, he came not as a king. He came not as a king. He came here not to be served, but to serve, and as a random ransom for many. He came here as a king, but he served as a servant. He served people actually as a deacon. The deacon's name will probably not be remembered by the people around here, but they will be remembered on heaven. Eventually, we are not serving the people by themselves. We are serving the Almighty King. We are deputized not by the elders in this church, but deputized by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's still on the throne. The throne will not be overthrown. That's our King. So the deacons are glorious call. The elders glorious call. We, as the one in Christ, to be privileged to serve this great glorious king. That's what this church is all about. That's what the leadership is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we're so humbled that you had brought this church to this place, to this position. You've called the people to serve you. Oh, Lord, when you call people to serve, you call them to die. 
because your son was dead. Oh Lord, you call people to die to know the reason, Lord. They will be filled by the Spirit, the resurrecting power of God. Lord, when you call us to serve you, you call us to know you. You call us to hold the truth. You call us to live the truth. You call us to be the exemplars for the people out there, not for just for this church, but the people outside. When they come to this church, they see the unity. They see the one in Christ. Oh Lord, we are sinners. We have problems. We are powerless. We're limitless. We are. We have limits. Oh God, we are serving you not by our might. We're serving you by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, humble us and strengthen us. Fill us with all the wisdom and spirit. And Lord, we really, really pray. We pray that this church can satisfy you. That your will be satisfied. Your will will be obeyed in this church. We pray for all the leaders we just talked about. Give them a good family life. Make them evident the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Oh Lord, bless them and fill them with your power. And bless this church as we go for the VBS next week. It's a huge undertaking. We'd be tired. We'd be frustrated. We'd be disappointed about a lot of things. But the VBS is not just for the kids. The VBS is for your glory. Oh Lord, help those people who are helping, who are serving. You remember their names. You remember their labors. Lord, call every single one among the congregation to serve. Lord, there's five days in front of us. We'll be fatigued. We'll be frustrated. But Lord, we need all the help you can give us. But we really thank you for everything you have done so far for this church, and we are looking forward to great stuff that you are promising to this church. Oh, with all the joyful, with all the joy and fortitude and courage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.